Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. For some reason, I'm hearing in my head the tinkly piano at the beginning of Mr. Rogers. I think I know why. Why? Because it's a beautiful day in our neighborhood it today. It is a beautiful day in our... I entirely agree. <laughs> it is gorgeous fall weather here in Pennsylvania. We know that this episode is going to air uh, the week of Thanksgiving. Yeah. And that's awesome. We'll say something we're thankful for in a minute. But we're recording this a couple weeks earlier just because of my teaching and travel schedule. Sometimes we have to record far in advance. And here in Pennsylvania today, it was a gorgeous, what, 70 degree day? Yeah. And we walked outside at this fiery, orangish, yellowish, gorgeous fall tree. It just seems to be a blaze in our backyard. I'm looking through the window of my office right now at some of the leaves out there. It's just gorgeous. Mm. So, um, can I start with something I'm yes. thankful for? And you in can honor think, of Thanksgiving. That's right. And you can think about what you would like yes. to share. But I know for me, uh, such a joy in my life, in particular in this past year, has been opportunities to visit um, people that I love who live far away. So that has just been a joy. Just look through back over my calendar and I just see oh, there was that trip, there was that trip. And some of them were the occasion of weddings or some for funerals mm -hmm. and some mm -hmm. others just vacations. But every time um, that we've gotten to be with dear friends, oh, there was a birthday party we traveled for to Georgia. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I don't know. It just keeps filling my heart up with just that joy of connecting with friends and family that we love in person. That is such a blessing for me. That's a little taste of the communion of saints yeah. that awaits us on the mm -hmm. other side. Mm -hmm. I am grateful for so many, many, many things. I am grateful, Wendy, for your 50 years of life. Uh, by the time this airs, you will have already turned 50. That's right. But right now, you're still 49 for a couple of days. <laughs> I'm so grateful for your life, Wendy. I, I, how can I even begin to... The impact of a spouse on a spouse is... There's just no other... I mean, I can't... I, can't, I have no words. I just want to thank you, Lord, for choosing me to be Wendy's husband. Thank you, Lord. And I'm also grateful that the Lord never gives up on me in my crapola, and there's always more of it to look at and expose and let him love me in it. And he just never gives up. And I can say the same of you, Wendy. That's right. Thank you. Oh, no, I thought you meant of mine. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I can say the same of your crap, too. But I was... <laughs> he never gives up on you and your crap. That's right. But, That's what I was agreeing with. But I was, I was extending it to you that you also never give up uh, on me in yes. my crap. And I have committed to you never to give up on you despite, Sorry. not even despite your, that's not even the right word. It's not despite. It's just part of the journey. Yeah. So there it is. That's awesome. Thank you, Lord, for loving uh, us. 
Thank you, Lord, for loving our listeners. And I have a few things to share about oh, yes. upcoming things at the TOB Please Institute. Please do. It is not too late to register for our Marian Mystery course that we are beginning at the start of Advent. A very fitting preparation for Christmas. You will not regret it. You don't even need to have already taken TOB 1 to take the Mary course. It's recommended. I would highly suggest that we'll maybe you get a maybe come in with a little more context, but we specifically designed the course. I designed the course so that you don't have to have uh, the TOB 1 as a prerequisite. You can jump right into the Mary course and you'll learn a heck of a lot about the TOB by taking the Mary course. It's my favorite course to teach. I know I've said that before on this podcast, but I encourage you, I invite you even right now, pause the podcast right now, after I say this, not like not like right now, because you won't hear what I'm about to say if you pause it right now. <laughs> but after I say the next thing I'm about to say, pause the podcast and pray. So here's what I'm going to say. I want you to pause the podcast in a few moments and just take like a minute or two and say, Lord, do you want me to attend this Marian Mystery Course online? And if you have one of those like Holy Spirit nudges that you're, you know what it feels like when the Holy Spirit kind of nudges you. Yes, you're supposed to do it. Then jump in, do it, do it. And don't let money get in the way. We have a scholarship program to, to aid you if you are in need. You can learn all about that by clicking the link in the show notes. Awesome. Oh, I'll say this too. Oh, yes, go ahead. We also have in person, the first week of January here in Pennsylvania, the TOB and the New Evangelization course. We go through the catechism from cover to cover uh, with our TOB glasses on. TOB 1 is a prerequisite for the New Evangelization course, so you will have had to have taken TOB, will have had to have, is that the right way to say it? You will have had to have taken, that's a mouthful, but I think it's correct. You will have had to have taken TOB 1. <laughs> I thought you'd, you just, you have to have taken. It's a prerequisite. <laughs> TOB1 is a prerequisite. For those of you who have already taken TOB1, please consider coming to Pennsylvania to start the new year to do a tour of the catechism. I love teaching this course. The faith comes alive as we go through the catechism with our TOB glasses on. It's, yeah, thrilling for me as a teacher to teach that course, too. Mm -hmm. Shall I offer you a question from a patron? Let's do it. You know what? I actually want to say something prior to this question. Um, which is, I had someone inquire um, about anonymously asking questions. Mm -hmm. And the, the person wondered, if you're logged into your patron page and you're submitting the question, is it truly anonymous? And I just wanted to answer that, which is, yes, when you submit your question, the only thing that I would see is what you supply on that submission page. So if you don't include a name or an email address and you just include your question, that's all I'll see, even though you went through your login to send it. So good. I just want to oh, let people know Great. that about asking questions. Yes, and I can now, understand why somebody would be wondering about that. Yes. The person who asked that asked it anonymously. Not surprising. <laughs> anyway. Bless you, anonymous person. We love you. Yes. So on to the um, question from Michael, who actually asks two questions here. So we're double dipping here. We're going to go ahead and do Michael's two questions as our first two questions as our first of this two episode. questions of the podcast. Okay. All right. We're so showing a little. 
favoritism towards our patrons. Here we go. If what you'd can... like a little extra love, that's right. Please consider becoming a patron. We we would we would be so grateful if you would, if you're not already, if you would consider supporting the work of the Theology of the Body Institute with a, a monthly patronage. We start just at ten dollars to be part of our patron community. And we love to offer our patrons ongoing formation, all kinds of exclusive benefits, retreats, uh, exclusive videos, presentations that you're not going to get anywhere else just for our patrons. So check it out, and that $10 a month will be put to very good use in spreading this message around the world. We can't do it without our patrons. Thank you, guys. So, Michael, here here, uh, we are. Yes. Uh, I haven't heard your question yet. I was about to answer it, and I thought, Wendy hasn't read it. I haven't. Are you ready? I'm ready now. Michael says, I just want to start out by thanking you for all that you two, the Theology of the Body Institute and this podcast, have done for my life. I first discovered John Paul II's Theology of the Body five years ago and this podcast two summers ago. It has been life-changing to say the least. Wow. Awesome. As a newly married man, I have two questions regarding the spiritual life. And this, I'll just read the first question. Okay. What are your prayer lives like as individuals and together as a couple? Yeah, I, I love to talk about this um, because prayer is, I love to talk about it because prayer is not what a lot of people think it is. We have a lot of misgivings about prayer, at least I sure did when I was growing up in Catholic schools uh, in the 70s and 80s. I got this impression that prayer is why you, where you kind of put on your holy face and go to God and ask Him things. And uh, I have come to learn, by necessity, what the Catechism teaches about prayer. That prayer is where we let our masks fall off so that we can present ourselves as we really are to the Lord's love allowing that love to purify and transform us. That's one of my favorite expressions about prayer. So that that's, obviously that's a quote out of the Catechism. That's not what was asked. What is my prayer like as an individual? I'll say some things. Then, Wendy, you can say some things about your prayer life as an individual. And we have different prayer styles as individuals, which reflect our different personalities, as, as it should be, because... Mm -hmm. Prayer is something very, very personal. There's no two, as unique as every human being is, so will that person's prayer life be. Because we all have unique and unrepeatable relationships with the Lord. But here's my daily routine. I'll just share that first and maybe unpack it a little bit. My typical daily routine of prayer, and, and thanks be to God, I know not everybody can experience this or can afford this amount of time, but my life is set up. Uh, such that I can get in at least an hour a day, and sometimes when needed, like this morning, I woke up early and I had about two and a half hours in my prayer time. That that happens on occasion, but it consists, this is the typical day, consists of spiritual reading. I'm always reading something that, that I typically, in my prayer time, will start with spiritual reading to kind of get my juices flowing, kind of get in the zone, uh, I'll not just read through it rapidly, but I'll, I'll, I'll let whatever I'm reading kind of, I'll marinate in it, I'll meditate on it. If anything strikes me, I might pause and just be aware of the movements of my heart, trying to stay naked before the Lord and opening up what's going on in my heart. 
So that's the first thing I do. Then that's usually, I don't know, 20 minutes or so of spiritual reading, maybe a half an hour. And if I have the extra time, maybe I'll read even for an hour. Uh, then I will read the, if I don't have the chance to go to daily Mass, I try to go to daily Mass when my life allows. Uh, if I don't, I'm always at least reading the readings of the day. That's my daily dose of Scripture, the Mass readings of the day. And I'm, a, I'm an avid Magnificat reader, because you get the monthly little booklet, and it has all the, the readings of the day for Mass, it has the prayers of the Mass, so I don't just read the readings of the day, I read also the prayers of the Mass, uh, and I love doing that. that. That has been part of my prayer life for, gosh, over 20 years, and that has been mm. incredibly fruitful, especially the Psalms. I would say 20-plus years ago, you know, I wasn't an, a great fan of the Psalms. They kind of seemed... I don't know, I didn't relate to some of the imagery or some of the prayers, but as I've become more familiar over 20-plus years of a daily reading of the Psalms in the morning prayer in the Magnificat, the Psalms from Mass, etc., uh, they be become really integral to my prayer life, and mm -hmm. I have seen how the Psalms are, are really naked prayers of a very honest heart. Uh, the Psalms are full of anger uh, at times, full of questions at God, almost shaking a fist at God. How long, O oh Lord? Why have you abandoned me? Uh, when will you come to my rescue? What the heck's going on? Like, I can really relate to that stuff. It's very human, very raw, very naked. And the Psalms are also prayers of longing. One thing I ask, this alone I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I've come to see also in the Psalms, this rich theology, this rich uh, symbolic language that is fulfilled in the New Testament, like even that one Psalm I just quoted, one thing I ask, this alone I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Well, what is the house of the Lord? What's the fulfillment of that imagery of the house of the Lord? Mm -hmm. The dwelling place of the Lord is fulfilled in Mary. If theology of the body teaches us anything, it teaches us that Mary's body became the, the dwelling place of the Lord. Uh, Mary's womb is the inner court of the Lord, the holy of holies, the dwelling place of God. This longing to dwell in the house of the Lord is really a, a longing to, to enter the mystery of Mary where we encounter the Word made flesh. So all of these things that I'm sharing about my, my daily prayer, the, the, it's not like you sit down and you read a psalm and boom, that pops right away. It has come from years and years of entering into the flow of the psalms, the imagery of the psalms, the language of Scripture, and understanding the typology of the Bible and how images from the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Testament. This has been incredibly rich. Um, it, it, it helps the Psalms not to be just, you know, kind of religious word salad, but, but to connect with my heart. And that brings me to the final part of my daily prayer routine. That's where I take up the prayer assignments that my spiritual director has given me for that month. And this has been a rhythm of my life for, I've been seeing the same spiritual director for 18 years, and he knows me thoroughly, and 
uh, he, I can't imagine my life and my prayer life with, without him. Uh, he has helped me so much to just teaching me how to pray and has shown me that prayer really is an exercise of desire. Getting in touch with the inner movements of my hearts, the longings of my heart, the wounds of my heart, the fears of my heart, the insecurities of my heart. Um, the reason my prayer went on for two and a half hours this morning is, is because I really got in touch with something that was going on deep in my heart. And I, I shared this also on our uh, YouTube video that I recorded today. Um, but I, I stumbled in this place in my heart this morning in prayer of seeing how I was rejecting somebody recently. There was something about this person that I found unattractive, and I was just like, like a rejection of that person because I found something about this person unattractive. And I've learned enough in my prayer that when, I, when I'm rejecting somebody else, and there's that movement in my heart of a kind of rejection of another, 99% of the time I am projecting onto that other person some reality of myself that I don't like. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, that I was stumbling on that in my heart, in my prayer time, and this was related to an assignment that my spiritual director had given me, um, he said, he was saying to me, Christopher, you need to come to experience uh, God's unconditional love in a deeper way, but you, you have conditions that you've set up in your heart, and you have to surrender those conditions to the Lord. He said, this was an expression he used. He said, the unconditional love of God cannot be contained in the old wineskins of the conditions that you put up. And he said, just take that to prayer. What does it mean that you have certain conditions in your heart of what makes somebody lovable and expose that to the Lord in your prayer and let him speak to it? That was the prayer assignment. So that's what I was doing this morning. And immediately I had this memory of kind of this rejection of this other person that I found in some ways unattractive, and I just opened it to the Lord, and what I came to see was this lie, this lie in my heart that something that I find ugly or unattractive makes the person unlovable. It's a lie. It's a lie. We all have ugly things in our lives. We mm -hmm. all have things in our lives that are unattractive, so true. Sin is unattractive. My crap, my broken humanity, my sinful humanity is unattractive. But the lie I believed, see, I, I when you believe that, yeah, the lie I have believed is ugliness makes you unlovable. And I cannot bear this idea that I'm unlovable, so I, I try to bury my ugliness. I try to pretend I'm not ugly. I'm trying to pretend there aren't ugly things about me. Well, well, there's another way to do this. This was the light in my prayer this morning that ugliness doesn't make us unlovable. While we were still sinners, we could also say, while we were still ugly, God showed his love for us in this, says St. Paul. He died for us when we were sinners, when we are in our ugliness. His ugliness, our ugliness, is not repulsive to God. It draws his heart to us. So that's just a little window into my prayer this morning. It was it was painful to look at that. I didn't want to look at it because I thought I thought it made me unlovable. But the Lord was kind of massaging that that tender place in my heart and saying, "Let me show you you're lovable in your ugliness." So I'm going to stop there because if I don't, I'll just keep talking. 
Um, I have the gift for Gab. That's a little window into Christopher West's daily routine of prayer. And I'll journal that stuff out. That's another... I, I am a big journaler, so when I'm yeah. reflecting on that stuff, I write it out in my journal. And that's what I usually... That's what I take to my spiritual director. I, I take my journal to him, and we go through it together. Uh, you ready? I'm ready, so, Wendy. Okay. And I'm done. <laughs> Sorry for talking so much. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I didn't know all that. You... You uh, were sharing with our listeners something that happened today, so I also hadn't hadn't heard heard that. So thank you. Bless you, my love. Bless you in receiving the Lord's love in that way. And it certainly bears a lot of fruit in um, your life and therefore in my life, that way of um, tuning into the graces that are available um, in our lives in very particular situations. Um, My prayer life is quite different from Christopher's. So in case you're thinking, oh no, this is what everyone who loves the Lord and loves yes. the theology of the body and is Catholic has to do. Nope. Um, Ain't true. It's, uh, it's mine is quite different. I'm, I don't know why all the reasons are. I'm maybe I'm just going to leave it that we're different. Um, but I actually really love to sing and sing to the Lord. And that is a great opener of my heart. So sometimes when, if I'm in the car alone, that's a great time to just sing to the Lord. Um, If I'm doing dishes and I can turn on some music to listen and sing along to, those are ways that my heart opens up. I also love to read the, the scriptures for the day in Magnificat. So I that is part of my morning um, that I do read those scriptures. And I love to read the meditations that Magnificat includes where different um, spiritual writers have reflected often on scriptures or other things. And I, that is often very um, just helpful to my sense of being in touch with the Lord. It's not necessarily the fully focused type of prayer time, though it may be a little bit more of inspiring reading that's not always um, with the same kind of truly fully open heart that kind of a recollected state would mm-hmm. have me in. Um, but I also, I read news and I often am praying for people in situations that I'm reading about in the news. So a certain call to intercede for the world and for individuals. Sometimes I'm just scanning headlines, but I'll pray for the people in the headlines, especially if they keep coming up. It doesn't mean that I'm going to read the articles, but I think this person needs a lot of prayer right now, or this situation needs a lot of prayer. Um, I pray together with our children before we start our school day, which is a very beautiful gift to share with one another. And then in just my own private times of prayer, maybe looking at a particular area of pain that's coming up in me um, or praying for a very specific situation, it's not every day, but it is very fruitful to take when I do just pause and take time alone for deeper times of prayer. Um, And it can be tempting, and I have experienced this, to think, what am I even doing here? Like, is this, does this even matter, you know, that I'm taking this time for prayer? And um, I've encountered that sometimes um, and had to trust the Lord that he's really close to me, that when I believe I'm speaking with him, 
believe I'm listening for him, that there is something real going on there and um, that there are spiritual realities that we don't see that are important. It matters. Um, so I just want to encourage our listeners in that. Yeah, the Catechism talks about the battle for prayer mm. that we all face in those temptations of this is fruitless. Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. It's a waste of time. The darkness that we pass through in prayer, the, the feeling of is God even there? Is he even listening? All of those realities are common to every human being's experience of the, mm-hmm. the journey into prayer. Mm-hmm. And it's perseverance in those times that that bears fruit for us. So if somebody out there right now is stuck in one of those real difficult battles for prayer, keep going, my brother, keep going, my sister. There is glory on the other side. Keep going, keep going, keep going. It will bear fruit. uh, Michael also asked about our prayer together as a couple. Um, Do you want to talk about that? I'm happy to. Yeah, Yeah. keep going. So Christopher and I... um, in our even starting just with our very first date, I remember we began our first date with a a prayer, holding oh, hands man, in I the car. That. <laughs> <laughs> and we are both just naturally inclined to kind of spontaneous, um, informal types of prayers, um, where we just kind of talk to God in our own words and what's in our hearts. And so we have that in common and can. Um, take turns in that kind of, you know, holding hands, closing our eyes together, Mm -hmm. just speaking from our hearts to God. Um, And we do this not on a schedule, but more as needed, which it's often needed almost every day. So, um, but it might be in bed before we fall asleep. It might be at the start of some activity. It might be on a drive might be a set aside time if we're particularly concerned about one of our children or just a need in our own relationship, something that's um, coming up between us that causes us to say we need time to pray. I'll say this, Wendy, that I, I'm i so blessed by your gift of intercession. You're, you're a very powerful intercessor. Mm-hmm. I need to grow in that gift. I Intercession, intercession is a very important part of prayer. It's not where I find myself most often. And I, I see you really entering into intercession, like your example of the headlines in the paper. Yeah. You're, you're reading the, the news, not the paper. You're reading yeah. it on your phone. Yeah. But the fact that that becomes intercession very naturally for you is, is a witness to me. And I'm, I'm grateful for our differences in prayer because we learn a lot from each other in our our differences. And I, I know in, especially earlier in our marriage, I, I didn't really know how to honor your differences in that way. And, um, we made a lot of mistakes in our marriage in not knowing how to honor our differences. And -hmm. it showed itself in our, our differences in prayer. And we have come to, to learn how to honor that and benefit from our differences. Mm -hmm. And it should be that way. As I said earlier, that's a sign that something's right because we're we're different people. Yeah. Ready for Michael's second question? All right, let's 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 hear Michael's second question. I hope Michael that our our sharing about prayer was a blessing for you. As a new high school theology teacher and God willing someday a father, I'm wondering how Christopher balances his family life and work life. 
I just fear that I care so much about my students at school that it will get in the way of my primary vocation of being a husband and father. Any words of wisdom are appreciated. Oh. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> that is... That little groan is, is how long have we been married? 20, all will be 27 years mm -hmm, very, very soon. soon here on November 18th. Um, that's the little groan is 27 years of still trying to get this right. Oh, my love. It's true. <laughs> I'm still trying to get this right. Do you want to, what was, I want to hear what you, you, that, oh, my love, where's that coming from? Uh, <laughs> Listen, you don't even know how much you've, grown in this regard so you're maybe you're, i don't maybe you're seeing you're remembering am i am I, is that like a muscle and it's memory kind of from... like a, a like as if the scale is sort of weighted down on a on the side of maybe not having a good balance and you don't realize how much you've grown in that regard so one of the beautiful ways that Christopher's spiritual director has helped us, and mm -hmm. I'm very grateful to him, has been encouraging Christopher to ask for my input about things that he's thinking about doing in his work life. Did you know I'm going to Australia in January? Did you I know, tell you about that? I, it is, uh, I do think I know that, although I have to get it on the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it used to be, yes, this is a good example of how growth has come. It used to be that uh, I, I wouldn't consult you a lot about my life and my work life. It's just, you know, I, I, well, I have to work, I have to provide for our family. So I'm going to fill in the calendar and I'm going to be doing this and I'm going to be doing that. And I started, <laughs> that was not good. That went on for a, a number of years earlier in our marriage. And I just, I remember bumping into the, the pain that that was causing. I remember when I used to teach my courses at Black Rock Retreat Center. So if you don't know this already, we, the, the Theology of the Body Institute offers its courses at this retreat center that's just a mile from our house. And I remember being so excited, and of course I'm still excited, and it has, it has been a tremendous blessing. But early on, this is 2004, when I first started teaching at the retreat center mm -hmm. down the street from our house, I was like, this is great, I don't have to get on a plane. I don't have to go away from my family. I'm I'm in home. I'm at home every night, and and I get to sleep in my own bed with my wife, and wake up with my family, and then I go off to teach. And I, but I would be gone from like eight thirty in the morning till eleven o'clock at night. I would be over there for all the meals. I'd be interacting with the students all day long, and and having all these conversations. And somebody grab a guitar, and I'd hang out around the fire and sing songs. And I, well, I might as well have been gone. <laughs> for, for the whole week. And home was kind of like a hotel. And I started to see after several times of, of this experience that, that you were resenting these weeks. Mm -hmm. And it, it's almost inevitably that your pain has been the alarm for me to say, okay, I got to look at something. Something is out of whack. Something is out of balance. Mine or one of our children's. Yes, you're, true. You're a very aware husband and father. You notice things about people and that, you know, there are times when you have maybe felt you need to stay focused, stay focused, stay focused on work. But then by God's grace and your own gifts, you've had those moments of realization Yes, that's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. And I, I have come to a point, and I am at peace with this. It was, it was a long time of, of, I had a kind of idolatry of my work. 
Hmm. for and and maybe it's still in there i'm sure it's still in there because i'm still a broken human being but i didn't realize i had an idolatry about my work there's kind of a home life is difficult home life can be really a struggle at times and teaching is very rewarding and being a blessing to students is very rewarding and the image that my spiritual director once used with me was uh christopher you're you you're you need to learn how to throw with your left hand. I'm right-handed. He said, you need to learn how to throw with your left hand. If you just focus on your right hand, and by that he meant my teaching. I'm smooth. I'm good. I do it all the time. I, I'm really good at what I do. Uh -huh. And there, there, there are emotional benefits to that, personal benefits to that. And I want to keep throwing with my right hand. He says, you don't like it when you're in a situation where you don't know what you're doing, or you look awkward, or you feel ill-equipped or inadequate. And, and, and home life for me in many ways has felt like that, like I was throwing with my left hand. Mm. And I didn't like having those inadequacies, inadequacies on display. And I, I remember many times we're sitting in my office right now, which is a home office, but it's a separate building on our property. And I would look out this window right here and I'd, I'd know that you're in there making dinner. And I would prefer to stay out here and just keep working on my latest book or whatever, because I felt good as a writer and I knew how to do what I... I needed to do, but if I walk in the house, there's going to be kids screaming and there's going to be messes and there's, ah, it's scary to me. I don't know what to do in that environment. <laughs> my spiritual director caught on to this and he started saying, Christopher, you got to learn how to throw with your left hand. You got to be willing to put yourself, the your first vocation. And it, it's tricky. This is always the trick, tricky part about this discernment as a man. I am loving you and our kids when I'm working. Mm-hmm. This is my, this is how I show, this is a big major way of how I show love to you and our children is by doing the work that allows us to have a home and, and buy groceries and, mm -hmm. and put the kids through college and all that stuff. That is a way I love my family. So it's not like I can't divide that from this is how I love my family, but are there ways that I can provide for my family and not go overboard? and be present. And that has been something I've needed to learn and uh, to realize that the, the priority of my life is God first, intimacy with the Lord first, and from that flows intimacy with you, and from that flows intimacy with our children, and from that flows the fertility or fruitfulness of my ministry. And I have, I, I strive for that. I desire that. I know that's the right order. And there are checks and balances with you in my life, with our children, with my spiritual director, with my uh, friends and colleagues at the TOB Institute um, to help me stay in that balance. Mm -hmm. Unity with God first, unity with my wife second, unity with my children. Uh, and out of that flows the fertility of my wider work. Uh, that, that, yeah, it's Michael. God bless you, brother. I know that's a challenge. It's not easy to find that balance. And, and I'm not claiming at all that I have it figured out perfectly, nor am I claiming I have perfect unity with the Lord, my wife, and my children. Um, I know I do not. And, and that's back to your first question about the need for, for prayer. Prayer is largely where this stuff gets worked out and then becomes expressed. Put it this way, the fruit of prayer is love. 
the fruit of prayer is deeper love and deeper fidelity to the Lord and to your primary vocation. And, and sometimes I know when I'm leaving Black Rock Retreat Center and I'm not having meals with the students and I'm making a beeline for the back door to get home, sometimes my students might think, well, why, why Christopher, why won't he stay and talk to me? What's his problem? Well, it's not a problem. It's my love for my wife and my kids that comes before mm-hmm. my, my love for my students. I mm-hmm. have a deep love for my students, but I have a deeper love for my wife and my, my kids, and mm-hmm. that's the way it's got to be. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of things I'll just note about what you yeah. shared and maybe add a tiny bit is, first of all, um, what you said about um, the kind of preferring to throw with your right hand yeah. and and feeling like you're kind of avoiding um, some of the discomfort of feeling, you know, less skilled or that kind of thing. I think that's a just a beautiful thing to share, to be that vulnerable with our listeners. And I am grateful. I hope that that in a particular way is kind of a, a light bulb for people, mm, both mm. men and women listening who uh, this, this whole question is very familiar to many spouses, yes, yes, it is. you know, and, and to hear that with not judgment, but with just compassion, Yeah, you know, especially if you're say a wife and mother who is comfortable in the home, but needs your husband's support, you know, then that's the space where you're throwing with your right that's hand, right. That's right. your dominant hand, and maybe don't be judgmental of the one who feels uncomfortable in that zone, but like try to find ways to have compassion and, and invite um, your spouse into this other, you know, space with love and understanding. We don't have to be perfect in order to be loved. We need to hear that for yes, ourselves yes, and, and remind ourselves of that. So I think that was a beautiful thing that you shared. And then the temptation to kind of um, emphasize where you're feeling fed, a, a downside of that, or fed or, or affirmed or something like that. Bennies. <laughs> a downside bennies. of that can be like an exhaustion where it's 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 wonderful, but it's like you just keep going with it until you're right. completely spent. Right. And so right. then it's not just about whether you're comfortable using your dominant hand, but do you have anything left to give at mm-hmm. all? And right. so that's another area where I just encourage husbands and wives both to look at your family life, look at your children, um, look at your relationship with one another and see where how often is just exhaustion a factor in not great interactions with one another and how can you address that and there's not perfect solutions to that but you can look at it and say well how can we change something so that we're not so exhausted and for you part of that leaving the course to be home is to is to prevent that that's correct that exhaustion so yeah and i think that can be really helpful good insight wendy Ready for another question? All right. Okay. This is from an anonymous listener who asks, what actually happens spiritually during the marital embrace? And why <laughs> why is it so sacred? <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, wow. Uh, that, that, to give an adequate answer to that uh, would take eternity. I will only have an adequate answer to that in eternity. 
Um, but the, the sacredness, oh, read it again. I just want to hear the way it was worded sure. one more time. What actually happens spiritually during the marital embrace? Why is it so sacred? What actually happens spiritually during the marital embrace? If it is truly a marital embrace, what do I mean by that? Uh, there are a lot of married people who are having intercourse, but they're not engaging in the marital embrace. It's not merely the fact of getting married that makes it a marital embrace. It's only a marital embrace in as much as spouses are open to the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? He's the very love of the Trinity. He's the very bond of the Trinity. And he's the Lord and giver of life. So take a married couple who is engaging in intercourse, but they're saying, and I'll never forget this, you'll remember this, Wendy, it was, we were newly married and we were giving a presentation at our parish, and I was talking about contraception, and uh, no, no, I wasn't talking about contraception, forgive me. Uh, I was talking about how the marital embrace is an image of the Trinity, and how the Holy Spirit proceeds from the love of the Father and the Son, and and the the woman in the audience was catching the analogy, and she raised her hand. I hadn't said anything about contraception yet. And and she said, Christopher, I've never heard any of this. I've never heard how the Holy Spirit is meant to be part of the marital act. Um, and she said, but what if I want to have sex with my husband, and we don't want the Holy Spirit there? And I knew exactly what she meant. She meant she was making the connection that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life, and we want to have sex, but we don't want this to result in a child. And it dawned on me, and it has stayed with me for over 25 years. Uh, this is exactly what we're saying when we render the sexual act sterile. We are saying we don't want the Lord and giver of life to be part of this act. That is very detrimental to, to the marriage um, and to what happens in, in, in their sexual relationship. Because what is supposed to be happening is the spouses, and I'm quoting from John Paul II here, says, the marital embrace, when the spouses become one flesh, it is meant to be an expression of life in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means a participation, a bodily participation in the very life and love of God. What is supposed to be happening in the marital act? It is supposed to be what is, what is spiritually, what is supposed to be happening in the marital act? Mm -hmm. The bond between spouses by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the bond between the, the Father and the Son, the bond of Trinitarian love, is entering into the created order through the spouse's openness. And it's, there's an analogy here with what happened to Mary. Right? She says, how will I conceive the Son of God? I know not man. And the angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Well, every, every sacrament has what's called the epiclesis. It's the calling of the Holy Spirit yes. into the created world. So when the priest in the sacrament of the Eucharist, when the priest says, let the Holy Spirit come upon these gifts like the dewfall, Right? That's the moment of epiclesis. 
the marital embrace is meant to be a moment of epiclesis where the Holy Spirit is given entrance into the created order in order to work what the Holy Spirit works. What does the Holy Spirit work? He works in the created world, the presence of Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, he, he, he is always about giving flesh to the second person of the Trinity. And the marital union, right from the beginning of creation in God's design, was a foreshadowing, a prophecy of the Incarnation. And St. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that the union of man and woman, husband and wife, in one flesh is a mega mystery, a great mystery, and it refers to Christ in the church. What does this mean? John Paul II says that the union of man and woman, husband and wife, in the marital act is an efficacious sign, meaning truly effective. It really participates in and really communicates what? The entire mystery of creation and redemption. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. What is happening spiritually in an authentic marital embrace, and it doesn't mean be perfect and then come together in the marriage bed. It means bring all your imperfections with you, but open them to the merciful love of God and the merciful love of your spouse. Enter into the marriage act in that way, and what's going to happen? The very power of creation and the very power of redemption wow. is going to reverberate from what you are doing in your marriage bed, not only in your lives, but in your children's lives, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your city, in your state, out to the furthest reach of the furthest star. And here I'm drawing an analogy from what uh, the fathers of the church said about Mary's openness to the Holy Spirit in, in conceiving Christ. Uh, the fathers of the church say that the furthest star danced wow. when Mary said yes. Why? Because reverb, the, the redemption reverberates out of us. Uh, to the furthest reaches of the universe. That's what sacraments do. That's what sacraments are. But every sacrament also has a, a diabolic mockery, a countersign, right? The Mass has the Black Mass, right? A satanic church says a Black Mass, which is, I won't get into the details of it, but it is a horrific uh, experience of unholy spirits rather than the Holy Spirit. And sexual immorality, rather than being an exchange of the Holy Spirit, becomes a mockery of the sacrament of marriage and becomes an exchange of unholy spirits. And the unholy spirits go out to do their dirty work um, in a kind of mocking of the redemptive power of the Holy Spirit reverberating through the true sacramental embrace of a husband and wife. Uh, the enemy loves to take this territory as his own, the sexual territory, so that he can work his darkness. Uh, the, yeah, the, if we could turn the lights on, and spiritually speaking, and see the spiritual battle that is going on when husband and wife become one flesh, uh, John Paul II says the marital embrace takes spouses to the very heart and center of the battle between good and evil, mm -hmm. between life and death, between love and all that is opposed to love. Uh, that, that's a that's a bold statement. 
uh, and and I've often heard when I'm teaching this, I've heard students say, oh my gosh, can't sex just be fun? Does it have to be that heavy? Um, well, there's this delightful paradox. Sex is a heavy reality. It, it is. It takes you to the center of the battle between life and death, good and evil. Uh, but it only feels heavy when we resist the truth of it, when we, re just, when we resist the full weight of it. Uh, John Paul II says that when spouses become one flesh, their actions bear in themselves the full weight of the whole of human existence. When we resist that weight, it bears on us heavily. But when we embrace the full spiritual power and meaning and significance of the marital act, we experience that delightful paradox that Jesus spoke of. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. And in that sense, yes, when, when you embrace the full weight of it, it is meant to be joyful, liberating, freeing. But there's also still, there's this element of the cross. There is a, there is a, yeah, this is a great mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. How did Christ consummate his marriage? He consummated on the marriage bed of the cross. That's St. Augustine's expression. So there are times in the marriage bed where you're going to feel the crown of thorns. You're going to feel the, the nails going through your hands. Um, you're going to feel that lance through the heart. But that is the pathway to the glory, to the joy, to the ecstasy. The agony and the ecstasy go together in the Christian life. And sexual sin, we could say, is always a grasping at the ecstasy while refusing the agony. Mm. I'll take the pleasure, but I don't want the sacrifice. I'll take the, the, the fun, I'll take the pleasure, I'll take the orgasm, but I don't want the commitment. I don't want the bad breath. I don't want the dealing with a real human person and the ins and outs and the ups and downs and what we were saying earlier about the ugliness of our sinfulness. Uh, yet we have to embrace the whole of the person, and that involves the element of the cross. But as we do that, really and truly, it leads us to the ecstasy, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. And I'll, I'll say this one last thing. Sexual union is meant to be the experience of loving as Jesus loves. And Jesus invites us to love as he loves. Why? So that his joy might be in us and our joy might be complete. If we embrace the agony, we will also experience that joy, real drafts of it, real tastes of it, real experiences of that joy. And certainly, Wendy, we can look back at 27 years of marriage, and we've, we have known the agony, and we have known the ecstasy. Uh, we've known tastes of both, <laughs> big doses of both, and it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's the real deal. It's worth it. Mm. I love what you mentioned there near the end. I, it was something I was reflecting on myself while listening. Um, you so beautifully just called us out of our ridiculously um, limited view of what sexual intercourse is into a whole powerful just peek into the spiritual significance and the honor it is to have God love us this much, to want to give us his life, to want to be our bond, to enable us to be this efficacious sign in the mm. world. It's mm. so mm. powerful. 
And then toward the end, you started talking about, well, you mentioned bad breath and that kind of made me smile, but uh, <laughs> no comment. But anyway. <laughs> that was a comment. <laughs> no comment is a comment. Um, but what I want to say about that is that spiritually, we an, an important aspect of what's happening is a very particular love of one other human being that we are called to love in a more intimate way than mm. any other mm. human being mm. we encounter on this earth. Um, and that is spiritually significant. Oh, man. We have to enter into God's amazingly personal love and awe at every single human being, but we get to experience it for one mm. in the oh. in a, a beautifully um, particular way, and we also get to receive it that God's love for us through our spouse, and it really should be as I think we need a balance where we see the importance of the grace going forth, you know, from our sacrament to the world. And the grace pouring right into the heart of our spouse or into our own hearts, actually both, um, in our marital embrace, that that the Lord's not valuing the farthest star more than he values that person you married. It, that mention of the farthest star is, star is only to let us realize how important the human being is, correct, more important. Correct. Yeah. I, I, I'm reminded as you're talking, Wendy, of one final thing I want to say here, and I just grabbed my TOB1 study guide, and this is a quote from directly from John Paul's Theology of the Body. He says, Genesis 2.24, which is the two shall become one flesh, mm -hmm. right? the marital embrace, Genesis 2.24 shows us, listen to this, that every conjugal union renews in some way the mystery of creation in all of its original depth and vital power. Mm. Hold on a second. What is he saying? Think about the power of God that brought the universe into being. Think about the, the, the energy of the Big Bang mm. that brought billions upon billions upon billions of stars and galaxies into being. Every conjugal union renews in some way the mystery of creation in all its original depth and vital power. Now let's take another step. John Paul, this is on his reflection on Genesis, the creation stories, but later in the theology of the body, he reflects on how the marital embrace is also a participation in all of the vital power of redemption. Hmm. And redemption is even more magnificent than creation. And the marital embrace is meant to be a participation, an efficacious sign of the vital power of creation and redemption. Okay, I want to be, just be real and say, it's not like every time a husband and wife, I mean, you and, you and I, Wendy, have been studying this stuff for our whole married life. This has been part and parcel of our, our journey. It's not like we experience 
experience the big bang every time we come together in our, our marriage bed. It's not a conscious experience, but it's, it's very similar to the, to the Eucharist. When you receive the Eucharist, you're experiencing all this vital power of creation and redemption as well, spiritually speaking. But it's not like you have a conscious experience of it all the time. Every once in a while, I receive the Eucharist and I ha God graces me with a, an eye-opening, conscious experience of a deeper understanding of what's happening. Yes. And similarly, that happens sometimes in, in the marriage bed where we have a deeper conscious experience of it. But just because you don't have a conscious experience of it doesn't mean it's not happening. Mm. That's the point I, I wanted to make there. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was some heavy duty stuff. It was. I love that question. I, I, I love this episode. I love all those questions and I'm glad we got to talk about it. Yeah. That was a long episode too, wasn't it? Sure was. That might be, how long? We're looking at a clock here. Yeah. How long was that? Like 56 minutes. 56 maybe. minutes. That might be the longest episode of the Ask Christopher West Show. <laughs> there you have it. Well, thanks, everybody. If you were blessed by what we shared today, please share it with others. Keep the questions coming. We love you. Until next time, know it in your bones that you are an unrepeatable, indispensable, irreplaceable gift become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.